Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. This is a later recording than what I usually do. It is 10.31 right now, and I am freaking exhausted. Not because I really did anything like physically exerting today. It was just a long day. I didn't get a ton of sleep last night because, as you know, if you live here in the great state of Iowa, it snowed again. Yay, snow. Thankfully, thankfully, it didn't snow for a long period of time. I mean, it snowed for a little bit, but not as what we've been used to throughout this treacherous winter here in the great state of Iowa. And since my dad, my mom and dad, for those of you who don't know, went on a vacation to Hawaii without their two loving children. So I have been here stationed in Urbandale, Iowa, watching our dog Bear. My sister's been up in Cedar Falls watching our dog Poppy. I didn't address that on Wednesday's show because, you know, they were still there because I recorded on Tuesday. And I forgot to mention on Friday because we had T-Boy on. And I hope you all enjoyed T-Boy being on the show because I certainly did. It was a lot of fun. It was the first guest we've had on on the live version of the show since my head coach at William Penn, Todd Hafner, came on the show and I had to do an interview for a class. Other than that, I have not had a lot of guests on the show. It's been a really one-man show for the majority, vast majority of the Logan Blackman show's existence, which, I've, which I like. I love being by myself, but it's nice to have other people on so you get varying opinions and stuff, so I get the fact of, you know, it can be kind of boring, I guess, listening to one person talk without any other varying viewpoints or anything, but to me, that's just how I've, I don't know, it's been nice. I'm kind of a control freak when it comes to my show, and I think that Having a guest on was a nice opener for allowing me to expand the show a little bit. So if you'd like to be on the show at some point in the near future or just in the future, shoot me a message on Instagram or text me or something or DM me on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. If you want to be on the show, we can either do like a Zoom link, we can do a Discord thing, you can come here in my kitchen where T-Boy did the show. He came over to my house, we did the show, and then boom, bang, done. Normally, I don't do it in the kitchen, so if it sounds a little different as per usual, even to me, it sounds weird because it's echoing a little bit because we're in the kitchen, but I've got all my stuff set up here. It's 10.30. I didn't really do a lot with the show today. I was focusing on other things, which I'll talk about as we get later into the show, and I apologize for Friday's show, not because of the fact of the show itself. I think the show itself went very, very well. We had a very good conversation about a lot of different things. In sports, notably the Patriots, because he is a lifelong Patriots fan. So I had to bring up that stuff. And the thing I'm really apologizing for is the fact that the microphone, again, did the popping thing. That is the microphone that we used to use for the Logan Blackman show. That is the, the microphone that we used before this one. I bought, I splurged on a $200 microphone, a nice Audio-Technica microphone to help absolve me of those issues we were having with the annoying popping sound. So it's like you got 15 minutes into the show or something, it popped, and as I was editing it, while he was still here, I was like, damn it, I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. We He recorded it at a good length. I was like, hey, this microphone's really touchy. Could you, like, sit back a little bit? You don't need to be, like, straight-backed and everything. And he was fine. Nothing he did was wrong on any part of the recording process. It's just that stupid microphone which is why we have upgraded twice <laughs> in the span of the Logan Blackman Show podcast version of the show. Because as you know, for those loyal listeners, 
This used to be just a radio show that we did at William Penn, then at UNI for KULT, and then now it is its standalone podcast, which you can get on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So make sure you go and subscribe and follow those two accounts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Give it a rating as well. to be much appreciated. Greatly appreciate it if you gave it a rating. And then go and follow the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media. Twitter, just follow my personal Twitter account and don't use the show Twitter account that I made when I was a sophomore in college at William Penn. Don't really use that anymore. So it's Logan underscore Blackman if you want to go follow the Twitter account. The Instagram, it's Blackman Logan for my personal account. And then the Instagram, we have a new Instagram account for the show. Okay, it's the Logan Blackman Show 1. I'm deactivating the Logan Blackman Show account. The first one that we made when I, again, uh, I don't think I was a sophomore in college. I think I was at UNI at the time when I made that account, but I didn't post on there a lot in a while. I was like, let's just start a new, on a whole new Instagram account. So I post on there as well. Go follow that. Go and like the Facebook page. Search Logan Blackman Show on Facebook. We're at like 132 likes or something like that, 133 follows. So go give that a like. I would greatly appreciate it. But most of all, as I've said before, Go and follow and subscribe to the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Even though I link it everywhere on social media, even on Snapchat, I'll just go and follow it and give it a rating because ratings always look good. If you give it a five-star rating, that's perfect. That helps me out a lot for my future. Not necessarily now because I've got like five ratings right now on the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts, but it looks cool. Seeing five out of five stars next to a podcast, it seems pretty cool. Regardless of how many likes it actually has, five out of five is 100%. <laughs> five ratings, five stars for all of them. So make sure you go and rate that. I would greatly appreciate it. But man, it was a fun weekend here. We had FCS football kickoff. The first round of the FCS games. It was weird. Not going to lie. It was weird watching actual D1 college football in the spring, and not a spring game, not a practice, an actual live game with fans. Yes, the Unidome for the UNI Panthers game on Friday night did have fans. Watched the entirety of the game, and to be honest, it was just, eh. It was a top five matchup, UNI versus South Dakota State, but neither team played that great, especially on the offensive side of the ball. South Dakota State had a true freshman quarterback in, their third-string quarterback, Starter Jabori Gibbs and the kid that replaced him last year, whose name escapes me after Gibbs got hurt, were both out of the game. Apparently, they picked up some knocks in practice, so they were both out of the game. And he looked like a true freshman, seeing his first action in college football. He rocketed some throws. It looked like Cam Newton on the Patriots, just lying back and just slamming it into the ground, which, again, can get, go down, as we talked about on Friday, go down to Cam's health and the weapons he was working with, or just the style of offense he was working with, didn't feel comfortable in. But that's what he kind of looked like from the South Dakota State Jackrabbits perspective on the offensive side of the ball from the quarterback position. You and I looked like you and I from the latter parts of last season, and by that I'm meaning the injuries. Isaiah Weston got hurt at some point during the game. I don't know exactly when he got hurt, but he wasn't playing towards the end of it. And then, oh man, it it was a missed opportunity. We had a couple transfers play. Don Williams at running back wearing the number seven. There's a lot of history for you and I wearing the number seven shirt. Much like, you know, Manchester United wearing the number seven or Barcelona number 10 or Brazil in the number 10 jersey. There's history behind number seven. That's David Johnson's number. Obviously not a ton of history, but still history nonetheless. Quan Hampton was another one that got hurt. 
He was the best receiver you and I had on the day. Will and him looked like they had a great connection going in the game, and I thoroughly enjoyed watching him play. Quan Williams, or Quan Hampton, I should say, combined Dom and Quan Hampton. Oh, man. I'm tired. I'm sorry. I'm exhausted. I didn't sleep a lot last night. I was awaiting phone calls for snow. I, I didn't really sleep a lot, so I apologize if I'm spacey, to say the least, a little bit in this show. But Quan looked really good in the game before he got hurt. He got flipped on his head, so hopefully... He's fine. He got up and walked off the field. He's a very important player to this team this year. Uh, Dion McShane is back and fully healthy from what it seemed like. He's wearing number one this year, wore number four last year. Him and, him and Quan play similar similar roles in the offense, so it's kind of hard to remember that Dion McShane now wears number one, not number four, but Dion McShane and Quan Hampton, two explosive wide receivers for the Unai Panthers. Just need Isaiah Weston back and healthy. Will looked, he looked all right. At times, took a lot of short passes, get, took what the defense gave him, had a lot of short completions in the game. Uh, the lone passing touchdown for Will came from Tyson Kershaw, one of the freshmen. Beautiful throw and beautiful catch from Will to Kershaw. Great play. Great play. And it was also nice seeing Will back in the number two, which is what he wore throughout his high school career. And as we learned on the Logan Blackman show, we interviewed him last year, right as COVID was all kicking off. And he said he wanted number five in high school, which is the number I wanted as well. But I took number 12 and then number two. T-Boy had number five. And I, I'm surprised I didn't tell this story. But this is what happened, essentially. It's one of my favorite stories from high school. So I wanted five. Drew Tate was who I wanted to be a quarter. That's Every young kid that grew up in Iowa, that was an Iowa fan, wanted to be Drew Tate. It's just a simple matter of fact. Every Iowa kid... That is my age, that was an Iowa Hawkeyes fan, wanted to be Drew Tate. Even some older, maybe some older people wanted to be Drew Tate. Maybe people Drew Tate's age wanted to be Drew Tate. And then my favorite player of all time, LaDainian Tomlinson, he wore number five at TCU. So I was like, number five just has to be my number. Two favorite players of all time wore number five. And I wanted number five in soccer too, but I didn't get that either. But I got number eight, which number eight I feel most attached with when I look at all the numbers I've had throughout my sports history. Number eight in soccer was the one I was like, okay, I'm getting number eight. I was kind of, I don't know, I fluctuated between numbers in football. I was number two my senior year of high school. I was number 12 my junior year and at William Penn. I was number 11 at times. 19 and then weirdly 53 my, my seven, when I was in seventh grade. As a quarterback, number 53, which was <laughs> one of the weirdest numbers I ever got. But I wanted five. That was my goal. I wanted number five. So I picked up number five. Our head coach comes in and says, hey, juniors, you got to wait till the upperclassmen pick their jerseys, then you can pick yours. So I put it back. I had the white five. So I put it back, and but I kept my eye on it. Kept my eye on the number five. And then I, I go and grab it once all the upperclassmen chose their jerseys, and I'm looking around for the purple five, and I see our guest from Friday, T-Boy White, carrying number five around, but also number three. So he's looking around for the white number five, and he's with a group of people as well. And there he goes, hey, have you guys seen the white number five? And then someone pipes up and says, hey, Logan has it. So I have the white number five. I walk over and he turned to me and said, Logan, which number is cooler? Which one looks better, three or five? And me, wanting number five, told him, I think three looks better. Three is the number I'd go with if I were you. I would want number three. And then a bunch of other people, as I was trying to just nail this in that, hey, number three is better. Number three was my first ever football number. I mean, for tackle football, JYF. I didn't choose number three. It got assigned for me. 
But I was like, dude, three is a good number. So I was just hoping I'd get in his brain enough that number three was such an awesome number, he would take number three. Ultimately, he took number five, and that was his number in college as well. And I took number 12, so it was Ricky Stanzi, also the Danian Tomlinson, 21, 12 flipped, same numbers, just flipped. And then senior year, I, I said to myself, there's no fast quarterbacks that wear 12. 12 is like the all-time quarterback number. You look at all the great quarterbacks that have worn 12. You look at Jim Kelly, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Bob Greasy. There's a lot of great quarterbacks that have worn number 12 throughout the history of the NFL. Jim Sorge wore number 12. <laughs> so I was like, there's no fast quarterbacks that wear 12. I wanted to be fast. I was a fast kid in high school. I still kind of am, but I'm nowhere near as fast as I was. I could keep up with myself, I think. It was a lot faster when I was at William Penn as well, because obviously we were training more for speed. But I was like, I'll take two. So my birthday is November 11th, 11. One plus one equals two. So that was my logic behind choosing number two. And then I wore that in high school, and then I got number 12 when I got back to William Penn. So it just all worked out there. Like, you need to have number 12, Logan, for football. And speaking of numbers... This was kind of a random thing that just popped in my head. Apparently, Michael Pittman of the Indianapolis Colts is keeping number 11. So Carson Wentz will have to find himself a new number. And apparently his number in high school is 20. So people are linking him with the number 2, also with 10. A couple of other numbers mixed in there as well. I don't know what number he's going to choose. All I know is for Carson Wentz, this is the best case scenario. Because this team with this coaching staff was probably the best place you could go for a free agent or a tradable quarterback. You had an elite offensive line. You had a good coaching staff that's quarterback friendly. You have a solid running game with Jonathan Taylor. You have a young wide receiver, Michael Pittman, with opportunities to build more weapons because you have a lot of cap space. And you have a good defense spearheaded by Darius Leonard and DeForest Buckner. So that was my logic in going, if I'm I'm a quarterback and I'm a free agent or want to get traded – Indy is the place I want to go. We missed some other teams in there as well, but we'll talk about one of them in a little bit because I've got a big surprise for you at the end of this show, or towards the end of the show, I guess. But all in all, you and I versus South Dakota State, not very fun game to watch. It was very, I don't know, kind of boring. Offense looked off. You and I's offensive coordinator, Ryan Mahaffey, took a green job with the Green Bay Packers like the week before or a couple days before the game. So... They were without their normal offensive coordinator. And uh, Sean Watson, who was the quarterback coach for you and I, he became the de facto offensive coordinator. So it's not like they brought in some random dude off the streets and just said, hey, be the offensive coordinator. But you could tell there was some, I don't know, chemistry issues, I guess, with the offense because Mahaffey was the offensive coordinator last year. Will, in his second year as a starting quarterback, you would think you would want that consistency from the offensive coordinator perspective. But when you get a job to go up to the NFL, and it's always been your dream to go to the NFL, I don't blame anybody for wanting to chase their dreams. That's all good. But you could tell something was off in the game. The offense, at times, struggled. And you could definitely see, I I think you and I will be back and better next week. But this game wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't a great game. Let's just say that. Defense played well at times. They're playing Youngstown State. Youngstown State just lost North Coast State today. I watched that t- today on the big screen. That was at 2.30 today. North Coast State won. I don't remember the score, but North Coast State did come up victors in the game. Zeb Noland, for those of you out there, 
all of you Cyclone fans out there, he was a starting quarterback for NDSU in this game. Transferred up from Iowa State to NDSU after losing the job to Brock Purdy. So he was gonna. it looked like he was going to be the guy after Kyle Kempt. But then Kempt got hurt. Zeb Nolan didn't play very well, got hurt also, at least I think. I don't really remember how that whole situation went down with Nolan. But then Brock Purdy was a starter, and obviously he has become the greatest quarterback in Iowa State history. It's well, it's well documented at this point that Brock Purdy is the greatest Iowa State quarterback of all time, above Seneca Wallace and above Brett Meyer, who is my number three for greatest Iowa State quarterback of all time. Yes, even above Sage Rosenfels, because I think when we rate Sage Rosenfels as high as we do, from an Iowa State quarterback legends perspective, we're looking at it more from the NFL aspect. It's like ranking you Kurt Warner the greatest UNI quarterback of all time. He didn't have a lot of success at UNI. He started one year at UNI. It's idiotic to rank him as the best or greatest quarterback in UNI Panthers history. He's the greatest Panther alum of all time, but he's not the greatest UNI Panthers quarterback. He's the greatest quarterback to come from UNI, but not the greatest quarterback to play for you and I, if that makes any sense whatsoever. To me, and I think most you and I fans would agree with me on this, that Eric Sanders is the greatest quarterback in you and I Panthers history. I think we all know that. It's been, at least I think, I would hope most you and I Panthers fans realize that. And I've only been a you and I Panther. I've, been, I've followed you and I football my entire life, and I watched Eric Sanders. He's the first you and I quarterback I remember watching in the mid to late 2000s. He was their starting quarterback for the Panthers. Of the go, see, Overseeing one of the most successful periods of UNI Panther football history is with Eric Sanders at the starting quarterback. And then Fat Grace came after that, and then, then we had a bunch of quarterback controversies. Sawyer Cole Morgan came in, Bailey came in, uh, Karn, Brandon Carnes came in. I can't remember if his first name might have not been Brandon, but Carnes from Nebraska came in. Then you had oh East Eli Dunn, almost forgot his name for a little bit, and then now Will McIlvain. And Will... As we've, not, we've, as we've talked about numerous times in the show, was about to be the nation's leader in passing yards for a freshman quarterback until Trey Lance's last throw. So it's kind of crazy how that all works. I think Will will have a better game next week. And it's not saying he had a bad game. He went 19 of 29, 165, and a touchdown. But again, a lot of those passes were shorter throws. He did have a really nice rushing touchdown. Really easy read. The last drive of the game was extremely anticlimactic. But that's what you kind of get in those situations when South Dakota State scored with like 19 seconds left in the game to eventually win the game. But yeah, it, it, it was whatever. It wasn't a terrible game. It was a top five matchup. You can't be upset losing this game. I mean, you can be upset, but it's not like the world's over. It's not like you lost to Youngstown State or Missouri State or Western Illinois or something like that. No, you lost to a top five program, an historically good FCS program, in South Dakota State. Now, this is UNI's first home loss in a while, it feels like. I don't know the exact numbers of UNI's home record as of recently. I know they have a very good home record, but this is their first loss in a while at home. It hurts because it's to South Dakota State, but UNI should be able to bounce back against Youngstown State, whose offense looked non-existent in this game against North Dakota State, which is, which is expected. You're playing North Dakota State, so I'm not really expecting a bunch of world beaters from Youngstown State in this game. You're playing the best team in college football at the FCS level. But their offense just was dead. Joe Craycraft, he rotated at quarterback last year with Mays. He didn't look very good. He was the starter. Mark Ward came in, played a lot better than Craycraft. Or Mark Wade, I should say. He also led the team in rushing as well. 
Youngstown State just wasn't there. They scored in the third quarter and tried to make it a game, but really couldn't. North Dakota State played well. Rushing attack, as per usual, their rushing attack was very good. But you can tell how limited they are on offense now they don't have Trey Lance because Trey Lance was their running back, essentially. He was their run first guy. He led the team in rushing last year, 1,100 rushing yards, double-digit touchdowns. Like He was their rushing attack. They obviously have a great rushing attack, always have, but he was the main reason for that. And Zeb Noland, he's limiting that to a certain extent. He's not very mobile. He's like the antithesis of Trey Lance. Complete 50% of his passes today, 74 yards, nothing spectacular. Didn't even didn't even have a uh, reported or registered rush in the game. But yeah, North Coast State just took care of business. It wasn't an insanely fun game to watch. It was much like you and I, South Dakota State, but this one was even less fun to watch because there was nothing exciting going on. No quarterback in this game passed for over 75 yards, and there were three quarterbacks that played. It was just, it wasn't very fun. <laughs> I, I always have, though, speaking of North Dakota State, wanted to go to a North Dakota State Bison football game in the Fargo Dome because I just think that'd be a very cool atmosphere to be in. It's the biggest, or at least not, I don't know if it's the biggest, but it's the best atmosphere for college football at the FCS level, at least I would assume, because I've seen their fans interacted with their fans before. Now, you better go there as a North Dakota State fan. They're similar to that of Iowa fans, where you better be wearing their colors, otherwise you're going to hear about it the entire game. North Dakota State fans, though, because of how dominant they've been, are extremely arrogant. So again, just make sure you're not rocking the opposing team's colors, otherwise you're going to get some dirty looks, shoulder checks, punches, maybe punches, I don't know, spit on, I don't know. I've never been there. I've interacted with them at some points at the UNI games, but they're in the minority there, but they make it sound like they're in the majority every away stand they go to, which is why they're such a rowdy and fun group of fans to be around, unless, again, you're a part of a rival team like you and I. And you and I, North Dakota State, will play each other on the last game of the season, so that'll be very fun. April 10th, what a weird way to say the last game of the season, but it's at the Unidome, so I'll be very very excited to be watching that game. It's going to be fun. It's going to be so much fun. I am so excited that college football is on right now because it's so much better than the XFL and the AAF. So much better. We actually have ties to these teams, even though they're FCS level. And a lot of people out there don't really watch FCS football or really care about FCS football or even say it exists. There's no other level other than F- FBS level to most people out there. Like, I remember seeing a poll. I think it was on Max Preps. It was on their Instagram page. I don't follow them, but it popped up on my Explore page. And it said, would you rather be a star player on an FCS team or a bench player on an FBS program? I think that's a very simple question. If you're a competitor at any level, you don't want to willingly sit on the bench. But there's some people... That would like to do that because being a part of an FBS program, you get a lot more opportunities and stuff like that. But if you're a competitor and you get an opportunity to be a star on the FCS level, so Trey Lance or Carson Wentz, or be a backup on an FBS team, I would be the star on the FCS team every single time. I'm playing. I don't want to sit. That's the, the goal of playing these sports, at least to most people, or as it should be, is to play. And the ultimate goal once you're playing is to win. So if you're one of those people that says, I would rather be a bench player on an FBS program than a star player or at least a starter on an FCS program, 
I'm sorry, I can't really help you with that. To me, it's simple. To me, it's a very simple decision that I would want to play. If you're playing, I mean, you could be like Alex Moran from Blue Mountain State and just want to go along for the ride and party and all that stuff because you have more opportunities to party at these bigger schools. You don't see a lot of FCS programs go like top party schools in America. Now, there might be. There might be some, but most of them we recognize as the top-level programs of the FBS level, like Iowa, West Virginia, Arizona State's been there, Missouri. There's a lot of schools known for partying. I don't, I'm not 100% sure with Missouri, but I'm, from what I've heard from William Penn, they sound like they party. But man, I would, I've never understood that question. So I think it's pretty obvious. But whatever, I don't know. I can't help you if you think that you, I, don't, I can't help you if you want to be a bench player rather than a starred, starter or a starter. That's on you. I don't know what to tell you about that. I apologize if you feel that way. I don't know what to tell you, but moving on from that for a tiny bit, we're going to stay with college football or college basketball, go to college basketball. Here's some big news coming out of the university of Iowa. Now I have been a very bad college basketball fan this year. I will fill out a bracket, but I will have no idea what I'm doing. So maybe that'll get me a better bracket than when I usually do know what I'm doing. I have followed barely any college basketball this year. I know Drake's really good. I know you and I is very bad because they're very young and A.J. Green's out. And I know Iowa is a good program. They're around the top 10, top 15. Luca Garza is a beast. I've watched, I think I can count how many times I've watched an Iowa basketball game this year. Which we've talked about this before. I've never really been a huge Iowa basketball fan throughout my entire life. I could tell you players from Iowa teams because I obviously watched them being an Iowa football fan. But again, it was more like a, I'm an Iowa football fan, so I should probably be an Iowa basketball fan too. Which it doesn't need to work out like that because also I was a fan of UCLA because I was a Darren Collison fan. I liked Georgetown growing up. I liked Marquette for a period of time. I liked North Carolina because my uncle's a North Carolina fan and I loved Ty Lawson. He was my favorite players growing up. Texas, I really liked watching Texas basketball. DJ Augustine and AJ Abrams wore these extremely long shorts. It was basically that they were wearing pants. It was awesome to watch. Ohio State had a fun team with Greg Odom and Mike Conley. Uh, Greg Odin, I should say. And then Drake, being from Des Moines. I think the most loyal I was to a team was the Drake Bulldogs. Because again, we talked about this before. They were on Channel 5.2. When we didn't have cable, Drake was always on 5.2. They're like 10 minutes away from my house. Maybe 15 minutes away from my house. So we could go to games. we get tickets from school. So it was very fun. And I went to Drake's... Uh, NCAA tournament bid, their party, the watch party, for when they got put in the tournament as a four seed in 2008 and lost to Western Kentucky. I went to their whole party at the Knapp Center. I got a poster sign that's in my room. But Iowa, I've... I mean, this is the best Iowa team. If anything, I should be most of a fan of Iowa this year. But I just haven't... I don't know. I just haven't really cared. I don't know. Is that bad of me to say that? I became a really big UNI fan last year because I went to every game. My friend Noah and I, we went to almost every single UNI basketball game last year. I went to every single football game last year. So I'm becoming a UNI Panthers fan, but I've never really, I've never been to an Iowa basketball game. Never. Even when they had the Big Four Classic at Wells Fargo Arena. Never been to an Iowa basketball game. I tried to go when they played Drake when they used to do the home-and-home things, but... 
No, never went to Iowa Drake basketball game. Went to Drake U and I. Went to Drake Evansville. Went to a lot of Drake games, a lot of U and I games. Never seen Iowa or Iowa State live, which is weird because most Iowa people, <laughs> people that live in Iowa, have seen them live on multiple occasions. <laughs> but I just never. I don't know. Like I don't. I I get updates on my phone most of the time. I forget Iowa's playing until I get an update from Bleacher Report, which is the only reason I have the app is to get updates on scores. And I get, oh, Iowa's playing and it's halftime. They're losing to Penn State right now. Which Iowa, for those of you wondering, did end up winning the game. 74-68. And big news from Iowa, like I said, is Luca Garza became Iowa's all-time leading scorer. 2,118 points and still counting. Not surprising that he's Iowa's all-time leading scorer. He's arguably, and I don't even know arguably, Iowa's greatest ever basketball player. Obviously, you've got... Roy Marble has something to say about that as well. B.J. Armstrong has something to say about that as well. But Luka Garza has a strong claim of being the greatest Iowa basketball player of all time. Now he's the all-time leading scorer. He's going to win the Naismith Player of the Year, nation's best player. Iowa's going to be a top 10 team come tomorrow. Is that when the rankings come out for college basketball? Is Monday? I'm not sure. There's so many games that go on. I always get confused on when the rankings come out for basketball. But Luka Garza had this to say. After the game, I took a screenshot of this from Iowa Twitter. It's truly an honor to be in the same sentence as Roy Marble. To pass him, that's something I never could dream about. All the credit for this goes to the coaching staff here, Coach Fran McCaffrey for recruiting me, all the teammates I've had, my family, and the coaches I've had throughout the course of my career who have taught me the game of basketball that got me to this position. And to the University of Iowa and fans, you really changed my life. For really changing my life. I'm really lucky to be in this situation. It's an honor to pass Roy Marble. So that's the big question here. Like I just said, Roy Marble definitely has something to say about that being the greatest player of all time. So is Luka Garza the greatest Iowa basketball player of all time? Or is Roy Marble? Because, I don't know, most time, points don't mean everything. There's obviously the legacy factor with everything that goes more than just points. But man, if Luka Garza takes home the player of the year this year, which it looks like he should, and if he doesn't, it's an absolute robbery... I think Lagarza is the greatest Iowa basketball player of all time. I don't know if that's asinine to say or crazy to think about. I don't know. Or and what does Stephen A. Smith say? What's one of his phrases? Blasphemous to say that. I don't know. He's an all-time leading scorer now. It's kind of hard to say he's not. This is coming from a very casual Iowa basketball fan. As I've said, all the teams that I cheered for in college basketball throughout my lifetime. Like, I don't... All the sports, the most teams I've cheered for has been college basketball, which is a lot of people's favorite sport in the world is college basketball. I have a lot of friends that favorite sport is college basketball because they grew up Iowa State fans. They had a lot of really fun memories, especially during Fred Hoiberg. Not really when we were in elementary school, but more high school and middle school is when they had a lot of fun. So like people go to Iowa State basketball games all the time. Iowa at Carver, apparently it's not a very good watch. At Carver. Again, I wouldn't know. The only time I've been in Carver is to go to the bathroom while I'm tailgating at Iowa football games. So I can't, I'm not really going to speak a lot on Iowa basketball in regards from a fan's perspective in Carver Hawkeye Arena. Like football, I've for NFL, Bills and Chargers were the only two teams I ever had. My favorite player of all time, as I said, was LaDainian Tomlinson. So I was a Chargers fan. My dad, I grew up a Bills fan. LT helped me become a Chargers fan. And then my dad, B. 
being a Bills fan as well. With baseball, the only team, this is the only sport I've ever had only one team is baseball, and this is the Chicago Cubs. We grew up going to Iowa Cubs games down at Principal Park. I've never had another favorite baseball team. Basketball, I was a Bulls fan, obviously still am a Bulls fan, and a Phoenix Suns fan. My great-nana lived down in Phoenix. I was a Steve Nash fan. That was my favorite player before Derrick Rose came to the league. Loved Steve Nash. Uh, what other sports? NHL, I've always been a Blackhawks fan. So there's been two sports, I guess. NHL and MLB. My dad's a Sabres fan, so I obviously cheer for the Sabres unless they're playing the Blackhawks. And who would have thought, side note, that the Blackhawks would be in the position they are at the start of the season? Because not I. I thought they'd finish second to last in the division. Not only are they not second to last in the division, they're a top 10 team in the league. Top 10 team in the league. They have 22 points. The Toronto Maple Leafs are 30. They're three points out of second place by Carolina and Florida. Or just Carolina. They're two points out of third place with Florida, Boston, and Edmonton. Tied with the freaking Blues. This is awesome. I did not think this would happen this year. Oh, Suter and Lankinen have been freaking beasts. Lankinen's been awesome. The Blackhawks, at least for now, have solved their goalkeeping problem, goaltending problem, which is what the main reason why I thought they'd be so bad because they didn't have a starting goalie. Nope, Lankinen's the goalie. You can have rotational pieces to help him when he needs rest, but Lankinen is the Blackhawks goalie, and Suter and Lankinen honestly have a shot at winning the Calder Trophy, which is ridiculous to think about. Patrick Kane, I don't know if he has a shot at the Hart Trophy, but he scored one of the sickest goals you'll ever see at a 360 snipe goal, which is typical Patrick Kane, the greatest American hockey player of all time. But man, I did not see this coming. I'll hold my hands up on this. I did not see the Blackhawks being as good as they are. But also the Stars have played 12 games, so maybe the Stars will boost up there. The Blackhawks have played the joint most games in their division, so maybe that will help. That helps them a little bit in the standings, arguably. But the Red Wings suck. We knew that was going to happen. They have 12 losses on the season. We knew that would happen. We knew Ottawa would suck. We knew the Ducks would suck. We didn't think the Kings would be as good as they are. But everything else is looking pretty solid. Now, I could be wrong. Sabres and Devils, I think I had them flipped, but they're two points apart, so I'm not going to lose too much sleep on that for right now. But everything else, other than the Blackhawks kicking ass and the Tampa Bay Lightning sitting behind the Blackhawks in the standings after they beat them 5-1 opening night, man, craziness. Absolute craziness from the NHL this year. Crazy, crazy stuff. I cannot, I can't believe it, honestly. Honestly, can't believe it. And as we're on the topic of favorite teams and favorite sports, obviously I've only been an Iowa football fan, so I've never really gotten the whole... Once you go to another school, you can't still like the team that you grew up with and had more loyalties tied to than you did when you were paying to go to a school. I like UNI football. I always tune into UNI football. Again, didn't miss a single game last year going to UNI football games. Whether watching it on TV or being at the game because I had to film it. But I've never gotten the, oh, UNI fans are all Iowa fans. Well, yeah, because no one grows up a UNI Panthers fan. I've said this before. Not a single person, other if you're from Cedar Falls, your parents went to UNI, no one grows up as a UNI Panthers football fan. Not one person. I would love to meet them. I think I've met one person that's done that. Most people that go to UNI are born Iowa fans or born Iowa State fans. So if they don't transition to being full-time UNI fans after living 18 years of their life, 
being a diehard fan of one team, I don't get the whole you can't be an Iowa fan if you go to UNI. They don't, first of all, they don't play at the same level of college football. One's an FBS, one's FCS. They play each other once a year. They're not competing for the same things. I don't really get it. I've never understood that. It's a little jab that's it's mostly Iowa State fans that use this jab that all you and I fans or all you and I students are Iowa fans. But again, no one grows up you and I fans. It's it's a shame that that has to happen, but it's true. I've gone to you and I've been there for I was there for 2 years. I was at William Penn for the same amount of time. So if I can't I can't like Iowa cuz I went to William Penn too or is that is that an unwritten rule that you can be a fan of William Penn because they're not on the same level as Iowa? Well, neither is you and I if we're being technical. FCS and FBS are two different levels. I don't I've never I've never gotten that. It's been confusing. I, I had that mindset when I first went to you and I and then I sat there going I was an Iowa fan for 20 years of my life. Because, again, I only went to UNI for two years. 20 years of my life, I was an Iowa fan. So now I go to UNI, I have to toss out all ties to Iowa and become a UNI fan only. Some people do that. Some people have ties to that. I went to Iowa games every year of my life since 2004. Didn't have season tickets because I was playing soccer, so I didn't have time to go to Iowa games all the time. The soccer games were on the weekends. We had tournaments all the freaking time. I went to an Iowa game every year of my life since 04, other than when Jake Christensen led Iowa, went 6-6 six and six and lost to Western Michigan. I did not go to a, t- a game that year. Because I remember watching that Western Michigan game on TV and going, I didn't go to a game, and I'm kind of glad I didn't go to a game. But yes, you have been a fan for 20 years of your life, Logan, but you go to UNI now, so you have to cut off all ties with Iowa football. I can get off ties with Iowa basketball easily. I know that done. Don't care. Again, I've said again. I don't care. <laughs> I'll cheer for Iowa basketball, but I'm not a massive Iowa basketball fan. Never have been. Probably never will. If I'm not a massive Iowa basketball fan now, I probably never will be. Especially since the best team they've had my entire lifetime. But forgive me if I don't throw all my ties to the University of Iowa football team. Since, you know, I've been a fan for 23 years and I've gone to you and I for two years. Sorry. I apologize. I'll apologize later. I I don't know. It's a stupid jab that I've never gotten. But hey, whatever makes helps you sleep at night. It's something to get over on Iowa, I guess, for Iowa State fans. Again, you only see that on Iowa State's Barstool account and random Iowa State fans on Twitter. And some of my friends that are Iowa State fans. I got that this year, but when I didn't even mention Iowa and anything that I said, I got called that. It's like, I didn't even mention Iowa. I didn't even say I was an Iowa fan. <laughs> I was just making fun of Iowa State. I can't make fun of Iowa State either now that I'm a UNI fan. For my entire life, UNI and Iowa State were on very similar playing fields. You and I would beat Iowa State. It was like a very close rivalry. I watched David Johnson wipe his ass with, Iowa, with Jack Trice Stadium. <laughs> Scored like four touchdowns in a game. The most dominating running back performance I ever saw until I watched Chris McCaffrey tear apart Iowa, give I, tear Iowa a new asshole. Other than that, <laughs> I've never seen a running back performance like that at college. Now, from a team in state, okay? Obviously, like Reggie Bush had amazing performances. LaDainian Thomas ran for 400 yards. Melvin Gordon ran for 400 yards against Nebraska. Samaj P. Ryan ran for 400 plus tw- 420 yards against Kansas or something like that. Like, I've obviously seen dominating performance like that, but in the state of Iowa, those were the two most dominating performances I've seen. David Johnson against Iowa State. 
in 2015, I think was the year, and then Christian McCaffrey against Iowa. Two dominating performances from running backs. And both are starters in the NFL. Now, one's better than the other one. Christian McCaffrey's better than David Johnson. By I think you can put that down to David Johnson just being mega injury prone. I don't think I don't doubt David Johnson's talent. You saw that in the one year in Arizona before he started getting all the injuries. That's why he signed a massive contract. Now he just can't stay healthy. And now he's in Houston. So that sucks for him. But hey, he seems like a very good dude. I love David Johnson. He's a legend up at UNI. He's the only place in the state of Iowa you can buy Cardinals and Texans jerseys is at the Cedar Falls Shields. It's the only place you can buy those things. Or he, I think he might even be able to find that at the UNI uh, bookstore. It's the only two places you'll ever be able to find Cardinals and Texans jerseys. You might be able to find a shirt somewhere, but jersey, it's the only place you'll ever find that. But yeah, I enjoyed that game. That was a very fun game to watch. I was just in awe. The entire time. Oh, man. Fun stuff. This has been a fun show so far. I was exhausted. I'm exhausted right now. It's 11, 12 right now. I'm counting down the minutes until this show's over. But I wanted to do one. I was like, I don't know. I hate missing shows. It's it's a bad feeling in my stomach when I miss a show, especially when I have something big releasing that day and I don't get to talk about it. It hurts me a little bit. So I was like, I'm tired. I want to go to bed now. But you know what? I'm a trooper. I'll do the show. I love the Logan Blackman show. I'll do anything for the Logan Blackman show. I'm going to get it tatted on me one day. Probably not, but you never know with these kind of things. But without further ado, the big secret that I was holding from you fellow listeners was the return, or not return, the release of Mock Draft 2.0. I have not given any announcements on this whatsoever. It's an exciting time. Mock Draft 2.0, February 22nd. Oh, Mock Draft 2.0. Now, hold on while I get a sip of this water. Sponsor of the Logan Blackman Show, water. I should have turned on the ASMR thing. I found the ASMR levels on my audio board when I first got it. Oh, man. When I wear my headphones and turn that on, it makes me feel so uncomfortable. I don't know how people listen to ASMR unironically. Ironically, I could totally see it. It's like, oh, dude, I'm going to listen to this awesome ASMR thing. Unironically, nah, I'm going to sit there and go, this sucks dick. I don't want to do this anymore. This is making me feel super uncomfortable. Like, I don't get how this is like... Is that super relaxing? I, I could be slow in that regard and not really realize how relaxing it actually is. But to me, it's not. I don't I don't get it. So, without further ado, let's go over Mock Draft 2.0. I wanted to release this next week on March 1st, but I worked on this a lot all day. My eyes hurt, so I was like, I don't want to... Why would I do this all today if I wasn't going to release it Monday? It didn't really make a lot of sense in my head, so I was like, I'll just release it Monday. I don't really care. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. I got to do a show. Oh, no. That was the thought process I was going through. About an hour ago, maybe a little longer than an hour ago. Why am I doing this to myself? But man, I gotta go out and shovel the freaking driveway. I did this already today, but it snowed again or it kept snowing. I snoveled it, shoveled it when it's snowing, thinking like, okay, I'm gonna shovel it again. This time will be less. But I'm gonna go out and do it in the morning because I was doing this stupid mantra throughout the day, so I gotta get up earlier. Oh man, this is such a bad idea. Why did we do this to ourselves? 
Oh, my eyes. Or I'm going to have to get those stupid computer glasses, the blue light glasses or whatever those are. Look like a freaking loser with computer glasses on. I'm the only one in my household that doesn't need glasses for things. I don't want to be, I don't want to fold to the, I don't want to conform to societal norms by getting glasses in this household. That would hurt my feelings a lot. I couldn't do it to myself. I will never, I actually, I probably will wear glasses. I think a lot of us out there that are staring computers all day, phones all day, whatever, will be wearing glasses by the time we're 40. That's my prediction. Maybe even sooner. I don't know. We're accelerating the need for glasses because of how much we stare at computers. And that that's not really a, a bad, like, oh, I hate how much we stare at computers. No, it's just the reality of society. We do a lot on technology. We're going to need glasses eventually. Our eyesight's going to be depleting as we know. We're all going to become blind by we're 60. I don't know. It's a, it's a lot of thinking to do right now, and I don't have a lot of time to do that. And we're about 40-something minutes into the show. I'm freaking tired. Let's, this is probably going to take a half hour. Oh, my God. I hate myself. Uh, but let's get it. Montraft 2.0. Exciting times, Montrafts. I love releasing Montrafts. They're just a bitch and a half to get done. There's so much time that I put into this thing. This has been over a three-day process, not even counting the weeks it took me to figure out a mock draft that I, you know what, I actually like that. I'm going to type up thousands of word reasonings. And this is, I, so I post this on Wix, loganblatmanshow.com, and before you publish something, and even after you publish something, it tells you how long it is of a read. Last one's read was 47 minutes. This one is 48 minutes. And I didn't copy and paste every single reasoning. And I did that for some. I will admit, I did use some the same reasoning I used last time. Because if it was the same player, there's no real reason for me to type up a whole new three or four or five paragraph long reasoning for a player. It's already been said. I don't need to keep typing up the exact same thing. I might change it a little bit. But overall, I'm going to keep the same gist of it. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Oh, Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one to Jacksonville. Why do I think that? Oh, I think the exact same thing I thought last time I put this down. There's not really a lot of logic that goes into that. But there are players in new locations. Now, for some of these players, I put down different reasoning because some other things needed to be added that I didn't mention in the first one. Okay? So players like the quarterbacks, especially the quarterbacks, because as a former quarterback, I know quarterbacks. I know how to evaluate quarterbacks. I I know I wasn't the best, but I know I can evaluate them. I know the position well enough to go, this guy's good, this guy's not. And it's just fun to evaluate. Quarterback's the most important position in sports, the hardest position in sports, regardless whatever you think of that. If it's like the physically not the hardest sport, or physically not the hardest position in sports. So you could I could you could tell me left tackle is the hardest position in sports, and I'd be fine. Because physically it probably is. Goalie in soccer and hockey is probably harder too but most important quarterback in football is the most important in sports and it takes a lot of brain power because you got to know what everybody's doing at every single moment of every passing second you can't have a lot of dumb dumbs playing quarterback unless you play like me i'm not dumb dumb but i'm not the smartest person either if i was in football i could say I, i know how to evaluate people in football i know how to coach i know positions I know different route. I know everything in football. But, okay, I'm rambling. I just got to stop. Okay, I got to stop. Logan, stop, 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 stop. Okay, let's get into this. Number one, Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence. Not very lot of reasoning done needed here. Yeah, I do get, though, I will say this. 
Recent reports have said that some teams value Zach Wilson or view Zach Wilson higher than Trevor Lawrence in this draft. I get that on some aspects. 90% of the aspects, I don't get it, but I'll give you 10% because that still is a chance that I understand what you're talking about. Because Trevor Lawrence, other than his freshman year when he won the Natty and then was instantly given the number one overall pick in the draft back as a freshman, hard to believe that was three years or two years ago, but since then, he got outplayed by Joe Burrow and got outplayed by Justin Fields. In both games against LSU and Ohio State, they got absolutely annihilated. They got genetically jackhammered by these teams. And Trevor Lawrence played worse than both of those quarterbacks. So that's the little issue I see with that. But you can't tell me Zach Wilson evaluating him playing against Coastal Carolina, North Alabama, Army, Boise State, and among other teams, that you think that's a fair sample size to compare him with Trevor Lawrence. I can get that comparing him to other quarterbacks, but Trevor Lawrence, I don't think you can really compare those two. I did also see that June Jones said Mac Jones is the best quarterback in the draft. I don't know if that has last name to do with it or anything. Maybe it does. I don't think they're related, but I don't know if I really see Mac Jones as the best quarterback in the draft. I think he's a good quarterback. I have him ranked fifth, but best Trevor Lawrence. And he had Trevor Lawrence ranked third behind Zach Wilson too. So that was where he kind of lost me there. June Jones is a very smart offensive coach at the college level. You saw what he did in Hawaii in the mid-2000s with Colt Brennan and all those guys, Greg Salas. And yeah, I don't see that. Trevor Lawrence is going number one, regardless if you rank him higher or not or lower than anybody. He's going number one overall. I would love to hear your reasoning if you think he's lower than somebody because, I don't know, I'm open to hearing it. Really simple as that. Number two, the New York Jets, Zach Wilson. I think this will happen, much like Trevor Lawrence going number one. I think Zach Wilson will also go number two. I think that is an essential lock. You can pencil that in, but keep your Sharpie ready because you're going to want to write that over his name, over the pencil marks come April, the end of April. Zach Wilson, compared to Sam Darnold as draft prospects, are like neck and neck, essentially. So you could argue that this is a very sideways move for the Jets. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't push them forward or anything. But the reason that I think this will happen is because both teams just need to separate. Darnold and the Jets. They just need to part ways. For the betterment of both, I think it would be the best for those guys to just part ways. Sam Darnold has had his struggles in New York. He hasn't been surrounded by the best talent in New York. But it's just time for a divorce. Sometimes it's better for both both parties to just separate, and you'll see the best of both. I think Zach Wilson's a very talented quarterback. He's got a very, very strong arm. He's very athletic. He's very accurate. I think he can be a guy that takes over and is very successful with the Jets. I think Sam Darnold will be successful in, say, Chicago or something like that. I don't think his time in New York can be judged entirely accurately, because there's a lot of variables that went into play in his quote-unquote failure with the Jets. Adam Gase being a big one, them not having a competent GM when he was drafted, not surrounding him with talent on offense. Now, some players can work with less talent, i.e. Deshaun Watson, but I'm not comparing Sam Donald to Deshaun Watson here. 
Every quarterback's different. Sam Darnold lost his confidence. He saw ghosts. He's missed games throughout every season he's played in. I think it's time for both to move on, and Zach Wilson is going to be the second quarterback taken in this draft. Regardless of who I think, if I think anybody's better than him or not, he will be the number two quarterback taken in the draft. And I've accepted that. I don't care. Him and Justin Fields, to me, ever since this whole thing's kicked off, I've kind of had them neck and neck. I released my player rankings, when was that, Friday? So I had them one or 2A and 2B. It was pretty, cl- it's neck and neck between the two because I think Justin Fields is bigger, he's more accurate. than Justin, Zach Wilson's very accurate, but I think Justin Fields is a little more accurate. He's got the toughness. I love the toughness factor in Justin Fields as well. And then you can go with the competition they played, but then you can go with the teams they played on as well and the NFL talent surrounding them on these two teams. So they're both like very similar circumstances. You say Justin Fields played a better school, played better teams, but Zach Wilson played on a worse team than Justin Fields did, which is fair to say because Ohio State has and always will have better recruits and better players than BYU. Does that mean BYU won't be the better team at times? No, or won't be the better team at times? No, they can be and will be at times, but 90% of the time Ohio State will have the better team. So there's the two things you compare them by. I think they're neck and neck, but Zach Wilson will go second in the draft as far as the quarterback's concerned. Whether it's the Jets or not, he will be the second quarterback taken. Three of the Miami Dolphins. This is the first thing I changed was Jamar Chase to the Dolphins. This thing makes a lot of sense for Devontae Smith to go here. Obviously, the connection with Tua. The most success Devontae Smith had at Bama before this year was with Tua. Him and Tua had a lot of connections at Alabama. Devontae Smith was the reason, or Tua was the reason Devontae Smith went to Alabama. So there's obviously the connection there. Devontae Smith led them in receiving with Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs on the roster too. But I think Jamar Chase, here's the main reason why, or one of the big reasons why. I don't think this is a problem for him as a player, but I'm not going to sit here and ignore it as far as like what an NFL scout would think. Okay, Jamar Chase is 33 pounds heavier than Devontae Smith. And again, Devontae Smith played against SEC defenses. I don't think that'll really hurt him that much as far as playing goes. But as far as draft stock goes, it's two different things here. Draft stock and how good you are as a player are two different. Because Orlando Brown, we knew was a good player when he got drafted, but his 40 time got him in the fourth round or third round or something like that. Which is stupid. He's off the lineman. He doesn't run 40-yard dashes. Certain things drop players' draft side. doesn't mean you're a worse or better player than anybody. You're just viewed as a prospect better. And Jamar Chase is legit. And I know I think a lot of people forgot how good Jamar Chase was before he opted out. Last year, 1,780 receiving yards, 20 touchdowns, great wide receiver. He was the best player on the LSU team, or best wide receiver. He led the nation receiving. Him and Justin Jefferson were elite on LSU. And this is the craziest thing. One of the craziest stats I read when doing this. Over the past two seasons, Jamar Chase totaled 14 20-plus yard touchdowns, the most in college football over that span. The thing is, Jamar Chase only played one of those two seasons and still has the most 20-plus yard touchdown receptions over those past two years. That is a testament to how great Jamar Chase is. I think him and uh, I think the top three wide receivers are all equal. I think you could draft any of them at the top of the draft, and I think you whoever was drafting would be perfectly fine with it. 
I think there are some that would view Jamar Chase the best, and I am one of them that views Jamar Chase the best. I thought the link with Devontae Smith and Tua made a lot of sense with the Dolphins at three, but if you want the best wide receiver in the draft, that's Jamar Chase. Number four, change this one up to Atlanta Falcons taking Trey Lance. Now, this one's a little iffy. Now, this is where my logic is with this. I don't rank Trey Lance higher than Justin Fields. Trey Lance has played a lot less games than a lot of these quarterbacks. He started one season at North Coast State, an FCS geez, school. One and natty, 2,800 yards passing, 28 touchdowns, 1,100 yards rushing, 14 rushing touchdowns or something like that. No turnovers. Played one game this year, had his worst game throwing the ball he's had in his college career. Through his first interception, through complete 50% of his passes, but showcased his rushing ability. Trey Lance is in that similar mold to that of Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying he is that, but if we're looking at it as a prospect standpoint, okay, they were extremely raw prospects. If we're talking about raw prospects in this draft class. Trey Lance is the rawest draft play, draftable player along with like you could throw Caleb Farley in there the cornerback from Virginia Tech very raw players which draws teams and scouts these players because like this guy's not the finished product which is what drew Buffalo to Josh Allen it's what drew Kansas City to Patrick Mahomes they're not the finished product yet but you see the potential they have in there which is why I think Trey Lance will get eventually get drafted above Justin Fields Trey Lance is six foot four, around 230 pounds, very smart decision maker, very good runner. He has the most rushing yards out of all of his quarterbacks. He's the only quarterback in this draft class to have over 1,000 yards rushing. He counted for what? What's 18 plus 20, 28 plus 14? 42 total touchdowns as a freshman in college, was the best player in college football as a freshman at the FCS level. And the thing is with the Falcons, and why I think Trey Lance going to the Falcons makes a lot of sense is because Matt Ryan's 36, going on 37. He's not slowing down, it doesn't look like. I think it'd be best served for Trey Lance and the Falcons to sit behind a guy like Matt Ryan for two to three years because Matt Ryan doesn't look like he's slowing down, at least to get to the end of his contract. Okay? And then Trey Lance can step in because Trey Lance is not ready to play. He's probably the least ready to play out of these quarterbacks in this draft. But... If he gets in the right skills, right system with Arthur Smith, who is a very run-oriented coach, you saw that in Tennessee. What does North Dakota State do better than anybody else at the FCS level? Run the football. Trey Lance would be perfect for this offense. Do I think he's a better player than Justin Fields? No. Do I rank him higher than Justin Fields? No. But as far this is this isn't what I want to happen. This is what I think will happen based off of what I've read. Because, again, i got no sources. It's all about what I've read. I think Trey Lance in Atlanta makes a ton of sense. Now, I've heard the links with Philly. I don't really know if that's going to happen. I think Philly's more likely to go out and get someone like Tyrod Taylor or something. I don't think they go out and draft a guy. I think they got more needs in their roster than trying to challenge a 22-year-old kid they drafted last year. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're more pressed to get a wide receiver, tight end, or defensive player, or something like that in this draft. I don't think drafting a trail answer Justin Fields is the smartest decision for the Eagles. The Falcons, on the other hand, yes, they have other needs, but they have a veteran quarterback in place. They're not a terrible team, as opposed to what their draft stock is, draft places at four. They just blew a lot of leads. 
They're a good team, just need proper coaching and need to be motivated. They need some rejuvenation on defense or something. I don't know what they need to do there, but getting a guy like Trey Lance, they don't have a backup quarterback. That's another big thing they got going on here. This would work. Trey Lance in Atlanta would work, and I'm I'm here for it. I would love to see Trey Lance playing in Atlanta. Number five, the Bengals taking Penny Sewell. I don't think there's too much logic going into that one. Best tackle in the draft. Bengals need off the lineman to protect Joe Burrow. Done. Logic simple. Number six, Philly taking Jalen Waddle. I was stuck between Kyle Pitts and Jalen Waddle. Talk about Kyle Pitts in a little bit, but Waddle is a beast. He's not just a speedster. He's an extremely fast wide receiver, but he's so much more than just a speedster. He is an elite wide receiver and a weapon that can do everything. Watch his return against LSU. Watch what he can do when given one-on-one opportunities. Watch what he did against LSU. Watch his return against LSU in 2019 to see what he can do. Because it's I watched it live. I have it saved in my Snapchat stories, my Snapchat memories. It is one of the greatest returns you'll ever see at college football. But this season, obviously Jalen Wall got hurt. The first kickoff, week five, Devontae Smith won the Heisman. If you go back and listen on some of the older colon companies from that realm, John, I said Jalen Waddell was a better Heisman candidate than Devontae Smith. I didn't even have Devontae Smith in my top five because I did top five and honorable mentions for Cole's show for Heisman. Jalen Waddell was an honorable mention. Jalen Waddell, when Devontae Smith was there, he was on pace to have a better season than Devontae Smith. So you're looking at Devontae Smith. You're comparing these two because both played for Alabama. Though Smith had more receptions than Waddle before he got hurt, Waddle had more yards, averaged more yards per reception by almost 10 yards, 22.3 to 12.7, and the same number of touchdowns. He also had a better catch percentage with Devontae Smith targeted 47 times with 38 catches, Waddle with 29 and 25 catches. Now you can go like, oh, more catch, more targets is going to lead to more drops or more misses or stuff like that. I get that. That's fine. And he also, along with that, along with averaging over 20 yards per reception, over 20 yards per reception, as I said, 22.3, Waddle hauled in 21 of 26 passes when targeted 20 plus or more, 20 plus yards down the field. 21 of 26. And also, this is a very big thing. When in the last two seasons, when Bama quarterbacks, Tua and Mac Jones, were targeting Jalen Waddle, they had a perfect passer rating in both seasons. Both of them. Perfect passer ratings. You don't see that all the time. Back-to-back, when a quarterback targeted a wide receiver, they had perfect pass ratings. For those of you who don't know, that's 158.3. I can't explain how the measurement works and why that's a perfect pass rating, but that's what it always has been. So, with the Eagles drafting here at 6, looking at what they did last year with Jalen Rager, I don't think that's the same thing here. Because obviously, you got Justin Jefferson who balled out, third in the nation receiving. Jalen Rager was just fast. That didn't make any sense. This one, taking Jalen Waddle over Devontae Smith, makes sense because if you look at all the stats, Jalen Waddle might just be a better wide receiver than Devontae Smith, even though Smith had the greatest season of wide receivers ever had in college football. Does that make sense? Like, it's not the same as taking Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. That was just stupid. Said that on the draft day, said that in my show after the draft. Vikings people were laughing at it. I don't think anybody would laugh at Jalen Waddle going before Devontae Smith in the draft. I don't think anybody would laugh at that. If they do, they're stupid. I don't know. Jalen Waddle's an absolute beast. 
and can do more than what Jalen Rager can. He's not just a speedster. He is the ultimate weapon, the best weapon in this draft. Uh, the Detroit Lions at seven. Here's Devontae Smith going to the Lions. Lions have one wide receiver on their roster. Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay are free agents. They'll probably franchise tag Kenny Galladay. Devontae Smith be a logical pick here with the Detroit Lions. They need wide receivers. Devontae Smith's a wide receiver. There's These are three very good wide receivers. Now, if I was being tricky here, I almost, now when I was doing this, I had Devontae Smith falling. I had Micah Parsons going here, and then someone, Micah Parsons spot, I had another player going. Devontae Smith going a little later. Had him going to the Patriots. If you look back to last year's draft, remember how highly Jerry Judy was talked about? He went second out of the wide receivers. C.D. Lamb went 17th. Judy went 15th to the Broncos. The C, like a couple seasons before, Calvin Ridley for the Atlanta Falcons went like 28th or something. He was around a top 10 pick projected in that draft. Receivers have the widest margin of gaps like in draft stock at any position in the draft. Maybe running backs. I don't know. Receivers, you can target them. Like a lot of people say, oh, this receiver's going to the top 10. And then they fall all the way into the top, like outside the top 20. But they're still amazing receivers, but it's hard to judge wide receivers from time to time. You don't know if it's a system, if it's a quarterback, you don't really know. There's a lot of great receivers that have been drafted in the top 15. There's also been some very bad receivers that have been drafted in the top 15. A lot of very bad receivers. So a lot of people might go, oh, let's take a wide receiver a little later, which is what tends to happen. So do not be surprised if someone like Devontae Smith drops a little bit because size will be a factor in his draft stock, at least in the stock perspective, at least of how I'm looking at it now. Could be wrong, but that's just how I'm looking at it. Eight, Justin Fields to Carolina. This is only if Deshaun Watson doesn't go there. It looks like they're going to, which is the main reason why I'm releasing this today because of the fact (laughs) I don't want to drop this and then have to redo a whole mock draft after Deshaun Watson's already been traded to Carolina. That's what it looks like it's happening. I don't want to do another mock draft this close together, at least right now. I want to wait a little bit, so I'm dropping it now. <laughs> but apparently they love Justin Fields. They like Mac Jones. They coached Mac Jones at the Senior Bowl, even though he didn't play in the game. He practiced with them, so they have a connection there. So I wouldn't be surprised if Mac Jones went here, because apparently Justin Fields' draft stock's dropping. But... If Deshaun, Deshaun Watson looks like he's going to Carolina. They just cut a bunch of players. They're talking about trading. Teddy Bridgewater unfollowed him on social media, so you know that's going to be that's, – that's big. I mean, he's getting traded. So just Teddy Bridgewater will probably going to Houston along with like three first-round picks. I don't know who else. Maybe Christian McCaffrey. Time will tell. But this will probably be Houston's pick by the time the draft comes up. But I have Justin Fields going here right now. If it's Houston's pick – I don't know if Justin Fields would go there because apparently Fields and uh, Watson have the same agent. I don't know if Deshaun Watson's agent, after talking to Deshaun, would go, hey, let's tell Justin not to go there. That would make a lot of sense to, <laughs> to do that. I don't think Justin would go to Houston after a guy who has got the same agent as him just forced his way out of that team. It wouldn't make a lot of sense. So for right now... As we stand here on, what day is it? February 21st, it's 22nd when you're listening to this, Justin Fields going to Carolina, <laughs> just for the sake of this. I can't I can't do this. Oh, man. Number nine, Denver, Micah Parsons, linebacker from Penn State. They have a few needs. They're going to probably, oh, geez, draft something on defense. Now you've got linebacker needs, you've got cornerback needs, you've got even got offensive tackle needs. 
Because Juwan James, who you got from Miami last year, is Mr. Injury Prone. He was that before he went to Denver, and he's just doing that times 100 in Denver now. Garrett Bowles decided, hey, you know what? I want to be, be a competent offensive lineman now. I'm not going to hold every single play now. He still holds because every offensive lineman does, but not as much, not like 18 times a game like he used to. Actually had a very good season last year for Garrett, for Garrett Bowles' standards. Drafted Lloyd Cushenberry last year in the second round, the center from LSU, Got uh, who was the Dalton Risner from Kansas State two years ago. I wanted him to go to the Bills. That's how I remember his name. Got him in the second round. And now they have a need at corner. Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertan could definitely go here. But I think with Parsons sitting here, it would be very hard to pass on him for the Denver Broncos. And he's got character concerns. But if you remember when Von Miller got drafted, I'm pretty sure Von Miller was getting fined as he got drafted. And they still drafted him second overall. Now, I don't know if Von Miller is going to be on the team this year. It sounds like they might cut him. But if they do, Micah Parsons can play either inside linebacker or has the skill set to play on the edge as well. So either or for Micah Parsons. But their inside linebackers aren't great. Love Josie Jewell, but they can definitely upgrade on that. At least one of the linebacker spots. Maybe Josie Jewell keeps his starting spot. I don't know. I didn't follow Denver's linebacking competition that closely this year. I'm sorry. But I wouldn't be don't I'm not gonna sit here and be shocked if Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertan goes here. I think Rashawn Gar- or Rashawn Slater is a very logical pick here because of Juwan James's thing. And I also think Mac Jones is a sneaky pick here for the Denver Broncos because of the fact they have been talking about upgrading on Drew Locke. Their offseason plan is upgrade from Drew Locke. Mac Jones, with how his draft stock's looking right now, I'm not going to be shocked if he goes number nine to Denver, or maybe even before nine to Denver. From everything I've heard, Mac Jones' draft stock is shooting up like a freaking rocket. More than anybody else's in the draft is Mac Jones' draft stock. I would not be surprised if Justin Fields is the fifth quarterback taken. And that's not, I, I hope that doesn't happen because I love watching Justin Fields. I think he's a very good quarterback. But man, I'm not going to be shocked if that does happen. And neither should you. Don't be shocked if that's happened. For everything I've read and heard and listened to, Mac Jones could go in that top 10 area in Denver. I haven't heard necessarily links to Denver, I've heard it more to Carolina. But Mac Jones to Denver, this is one I'm starting. Don't be surprised if it happens. If their goal is to really upgrade from Drew Locke, now I have also read that they're starting Drew Locke unless they can get Deshaun Watson. Other than that, if they don't get Deshaun, it's going to be Drew Locke. So for Drew's case, I hope that's what they're doing. But I'm not going to be shocked if Mac Jones goes there. Micah Parsons, Denver, though. The skill set he has, he can do everything from the linebacker spot. Vic Fangio will want that kind of player on his defense. This just makes a lot of sense. It might be a best player available type situation, which is why I put Micah Parsons here. But Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertan could easily go here as well. 10 Dallas, here's Caleb Farley. Uh, they need corners, bad. They're going to lose two starters, Shadobia Wuze and Jordan Lewis will be gone, as it seems. They drafted Trayvon Diggs last year in the second round. Great pick. He had a very good year before he got hurt. Get another corner in there. Caleb Farley. But I've also seen the Cowboys go out there when they didn't necessarily need offensive line and drafted one. They did that with Zach Martin. Look how well that turned out for them. They could go after Rashawn Slater. I said this if, when was this, last week? I didn't think Rashawn Slater would fall past Dallas. But after all the mock drafts they did, the ones that made the most sense had Gary falling past Dallas. I had him stuck between Denver and Dallas and ultimately went against it. I know I said that on the show, but I, I went against it this time. 
I still think he could be easily go in the top 10. I don't think there's a, a huge shout for me to say that. I think he could easily go in the top 10. I think he might even go, just because I've listened to what Daniel Jeremiah said, he might go before Penny Sewell. I don't think he will, but he might. There's a chance. I did that in my last mock draft. Had him going to Atlanta, which makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Read my last mock draft. You want to hear the reasoning for that. I'm not going to explain it here. I'm running long on time anyways. So, yeah, Caleb Farley, athletic corner, has potential, very raw player. He only played corner for two years. Played wide receiver and quarterback before moving to corner. And has been an awesome corner prospect, which is why, much like Trey Lance before Justin Fields, the potential there, you can mold him into whatever you want, that's why I have him going for, before Sertan. I think Sertan, if we're going off track record, Sertan should easily go with, as the first cornerback in the draft. But potential's big in these drafts. There's no reason someone like Josh Allen should have gone before Josh Rosen in the draft. There's no reason. But it's potential. Potential is what gets you places in this draft. The NFL draft's all about potential. Every draft is about potential. What we can, What can we mold you into? And a player like Caleb Farley, who's only played two seasons at corner, and has played very well at corner, knows the receivers, knows quarterbacks, he's played there. Very desirable pick there. Potential is everything in draft. Uh, 11, the New York Giants, Kyle Pitts. I know they have Evan Ingram. That move's going to, he's going to get moved. He's, he made the Pro Bowl. I don't know how. This is his worst season in the NFL in regards to touchdowns and overall drops. But I mean, I might be wrong about the drops. I know what he had this year. I don't know what he's had prior to this season. He's going to be gone. Has to be gone. Kyle Pitts is a massive upgrade. I love the athleticism Evan Ingram has. That's why they drafted him. The athleticism he had out of Ole Miss. Kyle Pitts is more athletic. Kyle Pitts doesn't drop the ball. In 31 red zone passes, he had zero drops. 31 red zone targets, zero, zero drops. The Giants, as a team last year, were the second worst red zone scoring team in the NFL. Do you see a logical fit there? Kyle Pitts has never dropped a red zone pass. Giants are the second worst red zone scoring team in the entire NFL. They score in just over 46% of the red zone trips. That's 31st in the NFL. Okay? Pitts is a matchup nightmare for everybody. You could list him as a wide receiver and it wouldn't even look that out of place. Every time he's matched up against a corner, he beats them. He is the best tight end against corners in college football over the past few seasons. He, you, tight ends usually get lined up against linebackers. He's going to be a matchup nightmare. And if you get a healthy Saquon Barkley with a Daniel Jones that doesn't turn the ball over with an athletic freak in Kyle Pitts, that's a match made in heaven for the G-Men. They won six games, almost won the division. They could win at least seven next year. <laughs> oh, man. I think Pitts to G- the G-Men makes a ton of sense. Red zone problem, red zone solution. Boom. Now, I did have Pitts going to the Eagles, losing uh, Zach Ertz, or potentially losing Zach Ertz. I guess that's not official yet. But possibly trading him makes a lot of sense to get a tight end. I know they have Dallas Goddard there, so maybe they don't want to move for a tight end. But if they do, Pitts is not like normal tight end, so I could see the allure of getting a guy like Kyle Pitts. The red zone thing, the Eagles with Jalen Hurts and Kyle Pitts would be a damn near impossible team to stop in the red zone. That would mean Jalen Waddle goes to the Lions, and then Devontae Smith goes to the Giants. That was what I had, and then I switched it up a little bit because I thought the Eagles would like a guy like Jalen Waddle because they draft speed. They looked at speed. They 
<laughs> they drafted Jalen Rager last year. Why did they not do the same thing this year, but with a better wide receiver in Jalen Waddle that doesn't drop the ball? Uh, number 12, Patrick Sertan. Niners need corners. Now, they, this was another thing that I just thought was funny. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's their new D coordinator, replacing Robert Sala. He's an Alabama guy. Maybe they want to do an Ozzie Newsome type thing and only draft Alabama players because the defensive guy's an Alabama guy. Now, the Niners, Jason Verrett and Richard Sherman are unrestricted free agents. Verrett looks to be coming back from everything I read. Sherman's not. Patrick Sertan and Sherman are very similar in size. Sherman or Sertan is a lot more athletic at this point in his career than Richard Sherman is right now. So that would be a massive upgrade. Speed in their secondary is insanely bad for the 49ers. If you watched some of their games last year, every single pass play, uh, Sherman was playing like 12 yards off because he was afraid to get beat deep because if a receiver got behind him, it was over with. They were playing so deep in coverage. Sertan would easily help fix that. And I think the Niners, unless, if they stay healthy, because they had a lot of bad injuries last year, could go worst to first in this division. They're like one of the few teams in the NFL that could do that. They have a lot of talent on this roster. If they can stay healthy, they'll go worst to first. I'm very confident in saying that. 13 Chargers, Rashawn Slater. They have needs at guard and center. Rashawn Slater can play both. Played right tackles, named their best offensive lineman in the country as a freshman by Pro Football Focus. Yeah, played left tackle for two seasons. Has the ability to play guard and center. Can play everywhere on the offensive line. Smart dude. Doesn't give up a lot of sacks, if any. He gave up zero sacks and 11 starts at left tackle as a junior. Speaking about that. Yeah, uh, it's very similar situation to that of Zach Martin, starting left tackle from Notre Dame, gets drafted, moves to guard, becomes an all-pro guard. I think the similar thing can happen here. The Chargers got their right side of the O-line figured out. It's center over to the left tackle spot. That's the problem. And Slater could play any of those three positions. Guard, left guard, left or center, left guard, left tackle. Makes a ton of sense. They need that. Mike Pouncey just retired. They've had need on the offensive line, even with Phillip Rivers there. Other than when the year LT won the MVP, they've had offensive line issues. They had a year where they played like five centers in one season. Like, they've always had O-line issues. Forrest Lamp, this is like the first season he's ever been healthy. You can easily upgrade on Dan Feeney. Forrest Lamp, you can upgrade on him as well. If you want to play him at left tackle, go ahead. They have Trey Pinkins. They drafted a few years ago, third-round draft pick. Maybe he wants to be the left tackle. I don't know. But if you draft Slater, you have you can put him anywhere. You got a young quarterback, you got a good defensive-minded head coach that has a very talented defense if they can stay healthy. Good weapons in Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. Hunter Henry looks to be coming back. And what it sounds like, he said he wants to be on a team with a good quarterback. Chargers got a good quarterback. So the obviously link's gonna be there. Uh 14 Minnesota Vikings, Gregory Rousseau. Size, his length were similar to that of Daniil Hunter. The, the Vikings were terrible when it came to rushing the passer last year. Were so opted out, but his measurables are ridiculous, which is another thing a lot of people look at in the draft. Yeah, 23 sacks last year for the Vikings. Hunter was hurt. Gakwe got traded. That thing didn't work out. Rousseau would come in and easily help upgrade that defense. Mike Zimmer, after they lost to the Saints, said this is the worst defense he ever had. Do you think he's not going to upgrade the defense in this draft? Offensive line is an obvious need, but there's some good offensive tackles in this draft that could be drafted in the second, third rounds. There's some very good offensive tackles here. This is a deep tackle class, which you don't really say that a lot, but this is a very deep offensive tackle class. The Vikings, with their needs on defense, with Zimmer's comments on the defense, I think it makes a lot of sense to go 
the defensive route if you're the Purple People Eaters. Vikings fans might not like that because they obviously have a horrible offensive line. Kirk Cousins needs protection, but Rousseau would make a lot of sense because of the things Zimmer said and the length he provides that looks similar to that of Daniil Hunter. 23 sacks last year. Logical pick there. 15, Mac Jones, the Patriots. This just makes too much sense. Uh, I'm not doing trades in these drafts. I hate doing I did. I've done trades throughout my time doing mock drafts. That just makes all my drafts super complicated. I just want to make it all where they are right now. I'm not going to do any trades, at least right now. Like, I've thought about throwing Carolina to Sean Watson and then having Houston pick at eight. But I didn't want to because that hasn't happened yet. I want to wait till it happens. Like, if I did that with the Colts trading for Carson Wentz, I thought, from what it sounded like, the Colts were have to give up a first-round pick. Obviously, they gave up a third and a conditional second-round pick, which could turn into a first-round pick, but not this year. So, I'm not going to do trades right now. I'm doing the whole Mel Kuyper thing. Don't do trades. But I, I'll, I've done trades in the past. I've done this a lot. But Mac Jones, out of all the teams that pick before the Patriots, the Patriots make the most sense. Now, obviously, the Chicago Bears could trade up. They've been aggressive looking for quarterbacks before. The Washington football team could trade up, but I don't think they'll go after Mac Jones. They could, though. I think they'd be looking for, like, a Trey Lance or someone like that. Based on Ron Rivera's track history with quarterbacks, more mobile guys work out with Ron Rivera more. Obviously, the Cam Newton thing. He's the only other quarterback Ron Rivera's had other than Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, and Tara Heineke. They just signed Heineke to a two-year extension, but Mac Jones of the Patriots just makes too much sense. If the Texans trade with Carolina, I bet Mac Jones goes to Houston, and then I don't know where Justin Fields goes. Because the Nick Serio thing down there, the New England Patriots front office is essentially the Texans front office. Mac Jones would make a ton of sense going down to Houston. That's my lo- That's logic talking. Mac Jones to Houston if Deshaun Watson gets traded to Carolina. But right now, Mac Jones makes too much sense to not go to New England. I saw him go to New Orleans Saints. I don't think he'll fall that far. I don't think he'll fall past 20 in the draft, based on what I'm hearing from his draft stock and how good he performed at the Senior Bowl and the practice stuff, the interviews and everything, his preparation, his maturity has gotten better as well. His preparation is very good from everything I've heard. I don't think he falls to 28 to the Saints. That's a logical fit as well, but I don't think he falls that far. I don't think the Saints have the draft capital to trade up that high to get Mac Jones. But hey, you never know. You never know. But this one to the Patriots makes too much sense. Until a trade happens where Houston, where Deshaun Watson goes to Carolina, Houston picks eight, I'm sticking Mac Jones in, in uh, New England. Him to San Francisco would make sense too. Him to Denver would make sense. But right now, I'm going to have him go to New England. Makes me feel the most comfortable. 16, Arizona, Elijah Vera Tucker. J.C. Horn is a logical pick here. Patrick Peterson might be leaving. Don't have a lot of depth at corner. But Elijah Vera Tucker, looking at what the Cardinals do, they're probably going to want to upgrade some more offensive line. Kyler Murray got sacked, what what was it, 27 times? Isn't that like a ton? But for how mobile he is, you'd want that number to go down. The Cardinals' offensive line is definitely not great, and it is shadowed by how mobile Kyler Murray is. I think a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker, who can play both guard and tackle, would easily slot in to that starting left guard spot for the Arizona Cardinals. Now, former Texas Tech quarterback Graham Harrell is the offensive coordinator for the USC Trojans. Cliff Kingsbury, former Texas Tech quarterback. I would assume there's some sort of communication between those two, regardless if it's about football or whatever, or just hanging out. I don't know. 
Cliff Kingsbury was going to take that job before he somehow got the Cardinals job. <laughs> I still don't know how that worked out. Carl should upgrade on Cliff Kingsbury. I don't think he's that good of a coach. Definitely not an NFL guy. He's an offensive coordinator at best. Head coach in the NFL, nah. He's getting carried by his talent, and if they don't go to the playoffs next year, I bet he's gone. Bold prediction there. But Elijah Vera Tucker, just protect Kyler Murray. He's what's keeping the Cardinals afloat at this point in time. So Elijah Vera Tucker, starting at guard for the Arizona Cardinals, makes a lot of sense. Vegas, Jeremiah Wosu, Koromoa. Sean McVay likes speed. The Raiders have always liked speed. They like athleticism. Kamoramoa has that in bunches. He's built like a freaking safety. He's like a Derek Brooks clone who could probably play safety easily. Devin White's a very similar guy as well. I think the Raiders look at that and go, we should get that. Linebackers have been an issue for the Raiders for a little bit now. Get one. Solve your linebacker issue. Instantly improve your defense with a Wosu Koromoa. And you just go to bed. And not worry about it, because you're fine. Six one two sixteen playing linebacker is a freaking heat-seeking missile at times. He make plays everywhere. He's super fast, can cover everywhere on the football field. He's awesome. Go and watch some of his stuff. It's very fun to watch. Raiders, to him, him and the Raiders just make a lot of sense. I don't think he falls outside the top 20. Or out, yeah, I don't think he falls outside the top 20. I think he goes to Miami if the Raiders don't pick him. That's my prediction right now. Uh, 18, the Miami Dolphins, speaking of the devil. Jalen Phillips, defense end from Miami. Uh, they need some help on the edge of their defense. Not, It's not like a dying need or a pressing need, but they could definitely do with an upgrade at that position. Whether you want to play him in a 3-4 defense like the, Viking, the Dolphins have been playing, or if you want to play him as an outside linebacker, as a 3-4 D end, I don't know what you want to do with him. But he's like... Freaking Rosso. He's got length, 6'5", 265 pounds. Really dude, really big dude rushing the passer. Accounted for eight sacks and 45 total tackles last season with Rousseau out. Now are the first round tackles or DNs, edge rushers, whatever. That's the second most sacks out of these guys from last year. Pay didn't play a lot. Rousseau opted out. Ojolari has the most sacks out of this group based off last season. Oh yeah, he has some injury concerns, but they could definitely do... With an upgrade on the edge, Brian Flores will probably want to leave the draft with some sort of defensive player. I think off the line makes a lot of sense. Najee Harris can make a lot of sense here. If you want to go with Penny Sewell at number three and then draft a Kadarius Toney here, that would make sense too. Or Rondell Moore or somebody like that. Then do it. But I think a guy like Jalen Phillips would help improve the Dolphins' defense even more. 19, Washington, Christian Derrissaw. He's, a best, he's the best off to tackle outside the top two fairly easily. He's from that area. He's born, he went to high school a half hour outside of D.C. He's a local dude, went to Virginia Tech. Get him back. Get him, get him to D.C. Help prove, improve your O-line. If you get Brandon Scherf back and you have Derisaw with Brandon Scherf, you're forming a little bit of a nice old off to line there. Got Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas, Antonio Gibson there. J.D. McKissick's and also a decent running back to have. Washington's going to make it of a pretty decent football team. Their defense is already really good. Get an offensive lineman, trade for a quarterback. I have them trading for Marcus Mariota, which is why I don't think they'll trade up for a guy like Mac Jones. I think they're looking for a mobile guy, and apparently they love or are very interested in Marcus Mariota or Sam Darnold. You could throw them Sam Darnold if you want. I just think Mariota is the more 
logical thing based off what I've read, but people can lie in the media. It's not about being accurate. It's about being first. That's the most important thing in the media nowadays. But Derrissaw would instantly improve their O-line, solve their left tackle problem, which they've had since Trent Williams got traded to San Francisco last year, even before that, because he didn't play the season before. So get an offensive lineman in there, upgrade their offensive line, protect their new quarterback, whoever it is, and yeah, be happy that you got an elite offensive lineman in the first round of the draft, 19th pick. I had Kadarius Toney going here last time. Wide receiver could also be a need here, but... If you have a guy like Christian Derrissaw available, I think they go ahead and take him. Wide receivers and off to tackles are, it's a pretty deep class for both of them. So if you want one, but you think you can wait on another one later, do that. But I think Derrissaw would be the smart pick for Washington here. The Bears at 20, Jalen Mayfield, tackle for Michigan. Bears need off to line help, whether at any spot on the off to line, really. Mayfield has the ability to play both guard and tackle. Played mostly right tackle at Michigan. But, again, has the skill set to play anywhere on the offensive line, which is what we're starting to see with offensive line prospects. You have versatility is a big thing here. You're either off to tackle or you can play everywhere else. Or an off to tackle that can play everywhere else. Versatility is big in these drafts. There's one player in this draft that's a natural guard that I'll get to in a little bit. All the other players like Slater, Vera Tucker, Mayfield are all tackle guard hybrids. Now, Vera Tucker is listed or going to probably be listed as a guard in the NFL, but Slater and Mayfield both had the potential to do that as well. This would be this would just make a lot of sense. Bears need upgrade on the old line. If they trade for a quarterback like Sam Darnold, I could also see them trading up for Mac Jones. That make a lot of sense. I don't think Mac Jones falls to them naturally, especially with the Patriots picking there at 15. That'll probably have to trade up for them. But they've proved they can be aggressive when it comes to quarterbacks. So Right now, since I have them trading for a guy like Sam Darnold, get an offensive lineman to help protect him. Because the Bears' line kind of stinks. Has, has stunk for the last couple seasons. It's their biggest issue on their entire team. I think they can get Allen Robinson back, to be honest. I've heard they're thinking about like a franchise tag or something like that. Maybe. Don't know if that's happening or not, but I think it might. But yeah, offensive line is going to need an upgrade. Mayfield can play both guard and tackle. Might as well cover two. <laughs> might as well kill one bird or what is it? Two birds with one stone here. Jay Mayfield, six foot five. Was it two hundred or three hundred something pounds? I don't have his weight listed on here. I did when I had him going to the Colts, but not anymore. He's a big rock in crush him. He's gone up against a lot of really good edge rushers in the Big Ten. He's played a. He's only started fifteen games. He's very inexperienced, which again, he's going to be twenty years old by the time the draft starts, which means potential. We can build him into something. That's why he's going to go this high. One of the reasons he's going to go this high, potential and age is a big factor in these drafts. Big factor. 21, uh, the Colts, Kadarius Toney. He's the next wide receiver out of that big three of Chase, Waddle, Smith, and Tony is right after that. Kadarius Toney, much like Mac Jones, boosted his draft stock a lot based off the senior bowl. The secondary that he played against said that he was the best wide receiver in the draft. There's, there's people he played against, not the teammate, not his teammates. People he played against, and he's very talented. He can do everything, much like Jalen Waddle. Total 120 receptions, 1500 yards, 12 touchdowns, and then six 66 rushing attempts, 580 rushing yards, and then what else do we got on here? 21.6 yards per kick return, 11.3 yards per punt return, 
scored a punt touch, punt, yeah, punt return for a touchdowns, and went three for six passing with 82 yards and a touchdown. He did literally everything. And even along that, Kadarius Toney didn't drop a single pass 10-plus yards downfield on 31 targets, much like tight end that he just played with, Kyle Pitts. 31 targets in the red zone, zero drops, 31 targets 10 yards down the field or more, zero drops. And since 2019, Tony has tallied 111 touches, 60 first downs, and 44 missed tackles. There's some of his highlights and some of his plays that he makes a play out of absolutely nothing. And the Colts could definitely go with an offensive tackle here. Easily go with an offensive tackle here. I'm not going to sit here and say they won't because I did that in my last mock draft. But they don't have a lot of we- a ton of weapons right now. They have some, as we said, Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor. But if you get a guy like Tony, that would add a lot to their offense as far as versatility goes. Now, Rondell Moore's an obviously fit here as well from Indiana, went to Purdue. But I think Tony is a bigger guy, six foot. Rondell Moore's five foot nine. Similar styles of players, though. But I think Tony with the senior bowl performance certainly helped his draft stock a lot. Had a very impressive last year. Rondell Moore's played seven games the past two years. That will hurt him a little bit. So that's why I have Tony going to the Colts at 21. 22, Quiddy Pay. Need edge rushers. Davian Clowney didn't work out. Need edge rushers. Tennessee Titans defense sucks and has been gradually getting worse as the seasons have gone on. And Quiddy Pay is the next best edge rusher available. To me, he's the second best edge rusher available. But again, that doesn't mean I don't think someone like Jalen Phillips will go before him based off everything I've read. But Quiddy Pay would instantly be an upgrade for the Titans of their edge for their defense. Help solidifying that. New York Jets, I have them taking J.C. Horn. The Jets, their defense just stinks in general. Robert Sala, I would be shocked if he didn't come away with some sort of defensive player in this draft, whether it be an edge rusher or a corner. If J.C. Horn's available, I don't think there's any chance they pass on him. Because if you look at the Jets last season passing, they're bottom five in passing defense. Gave up 275.6 yards per game, 4,400 total passing yards. Gave the third highest completion percentage, where the bottom five in touchdowns given up, bottom five in interceptions, while giving up a passer rating of 103.2, which was bottom five again, or at least bottom 10. I can't remember if it was actually bottom. I think it was like bottom four, actually, now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, they're going to need some help with their pass defense. Horn, 6'1", 200 pounds. He's the next best cornerback in this draft behind Sertain and Farley. If he falls to the Jets... I don't think there's any chance they pass on him here. They need a lot of help on defense. This would be a definite start. Uh, Tevin Cole, or Tevin Jenkins to the Pittsburgh Steelers here at 24. They need off to line help. Don't have any real off to linemen on their roster right now. There aren't free agents. There are a lot of cap situations going on in Pittsburgh right now. A lot of free agents. A lot of key positions here. Tevin Jenkins, 6'6", 320 pounds. Big dude. Was a part of an offense that allowed Shubba Hubbard to rush for over 2,000 yards. What does Mike Tomlin like to do? What do the Steelers always like to do? Run the ball. Look at Franco Harris. You look at Jerome Bettis. You even look at Willie Parker, Rashad Mendenhall for a little bit. Le'Veon Bell. They love to run the ball in Pittsburgh. That's what they're going to try and do. And if they get a guy like Tevin Jenkins, that would certainly help in the regards to rebuilding that rush offense. Jacksonville 25, Christian Barmore, the rush defense sucks. Get a guy like Christian Barmore, the best defensive tackle in this draft. Makes a lot of sense to help address that. He's also a very good interior pass rusher. 
So you'd be killing, again, two birds with one stone here. Pass rusher from the interior side of the defense while also helping clog up rushing lanes. So you've got Kalevon Chison, C.J. Henderson, and now Christian Barmar. You've drafted defense a lot recently in the draft for Jacksonville. Makes sense. You traded away and lost a lot of really good pieces. A.J. Bouye, Jalen Ramsey, Kalias Campbell, and Yannick Ngakwe. Like you've lost some very good pieces on defense. Paul Pozlesny, like you Again, that's some good players. You've got to start rebuilding that. The way you do that the best is through the draft because sometimes defensive players can be a little pricey, a little overpriced at times. Barmore would help solve their rushing thing and also apply pressure from the interior side of their defense. 26, Zayvon Collins, same pick as last time. Browns need linebacker help. They lost Joe Schobert. They lost Christian Kirksey last offseason. Didn't replace him. Need some depth at linebacker. Their linebacker crew ranked 31st before last season. What, improved by probably three spots this season? Maybe a little bit more? I don't know. But getting a guy like Zayvon Collins, who's a freaking monster, 6'4", 200 city pounds, playing edge, which the Browns also could use some help with the edge. They could need help at linebacker. Wherever you want to play Zayvon Collins, I think it'd work out for the best for Cleveland. Be really good. Be re- work out very, very well for the Cleveland Browns. Baltimore at 27, I put them Aziz Ojolari. Yanni Ngakwe and Matthew Judon are free agents, and from what it sounds like, they could let both of them walk. Ojolari's a natural 3-4 outside linebacker, which is the defense the Ravens run. Natural fit. If he somehow falls to Baltimore, they're going to pick him. I know they have a terrible receiving core, but I think they could address that in the free agent market. There's some good wide receivers out there in free agency right now. And also, again, it's a very good receiver class. You could, There's some good edge rushers here, but if Aziz Ojolari is available here, he had the most sacks, he had the most production out of any edge rusher in this class based off last year with eight and a half sacks, natural 3-4 linebacker. I think it just makes too much sense not to go. They struggled with the edge rushing ever since Darius Smith left. Now they get a guy like Aziz Ojolari. That make a huge, huge improvement on their defense uh 28 Trayvon Mooring Trayvon Trayvon Mooring the safety from TCU Saints need help at defense on safety spot Marcus Williams a free agent probably gonna leave he's gonna be asking for a lot of money Saints are 100 million dollars under the cap that's gonna or over the cap I guess big bad not great for the New Orleans Saints Malcolm Jenkins also can't play forever so it just makes it makes sense to get a guy like Trayvon Mooring, the best safety in the draft by far. He's clear as the best safety in the draft. I think if we're talking about clear prospects, like they are so much better than everybody in this draft, I would say only him and Kyle Pitts are clear of everybody else in regards to their position in this draft. Now, last year, we saw very talented safeties like Xavier McKinney, Grant Delpit, fall to the second round. We had no safeties drafted in the first round last year. So I get a sneaky suspicion that might happen again this year. Because those guys were, there was like four or five safeties that went in the second round last year. Like if I go off the top, my McKinney, Delpit, Chin, Kyle Duggar. So four? Is there one more? There might have been one more. I just can't remember what his name is right now. But at least four went in the second round of the draft. Very talented safety class last year. Grant Delpit obviously didn't play. McKinney had a down year, though. If we're talking about prospects, Chin had himself an amazing year, was in the running for rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year. But Mooring is clear as the best safety in the draft. You might not be able to get him later, especially with how the gap is between him and the rest of the safety. It's not saying the rest of the safeties are bad, but if we're talking about from a scouting perspective, dude's a lot better 
from the stats, that perspective. So you might want to take him if he's available here at 28, which he probably should be. Where the Saints are picking in the second round, I don't know if they'll be able to get him. He can probably go early second round to, I don't know, Jaguars might take him with their first pick in the second round. Because they have two they have two first round picks. They might take him with their first second pick in the first round. Don't know. So might as well just take him while he's available. Uh, 29, the Green Bay Packers. I did it. I went with the wide receiver. I went with Rondale Moore. Uh, it's between him and Rashad Bateman, really. I just think Moore provides something that the Green Bay Packers don't have. Other than Devontae Adams, they don't really have that go-to wide receiver. I like Allen Robinson. I like Marquez Valdez-Scantling. But Rondell Moore is that Swiss Army Knife wide receiver like Jalen Waddle, like Kadarius Toney. Rondell Moore, a lot of people are saying he's another version of Tyreek Hill and some compared him to Steve Smith. If you can get any one of those two receivers, two future Hall of Fame wide receivers, I think the Packers will be fine with that. I think they'll be very, very happy with that. Now, the thing that hurts him, as I said, with the Kadarius Toney thing, Rondell Moore has played seven games in two years. He played three games last year, but his freshman year, 1,200 receiving yards, 12 touchdowns, 12, 212 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns. He can do a lot of things. Whether you put him out wide or put him in the backfield or motion him around, whatever, he's the only receiver on the Packers that would be able to do that. They didn't draft a single wide receiver last year. I don't think they do that again. Now, they might wait to the second round to do it, but I think with Rondell Moore, apparently his stock is on the rise as well. A lot of people really like Rondell Moore. His stock is shooting up like a rocket, much like Mac Jones, apparently. So they take him with the 29th overall pick and get a wide receiver. Last wide receiver they took in the first round was Javon Walker, who they took in 0-2, and then Sterling Sharp before that in 88. So there's a big gap of wide receivers that haven't gone in the first round for the Green Bay Packers. But I think they might end that this year with a guy like Rondell Moore. Uh, 30, the Buffalo Bills, Travis Etienne. I went with Najee Harris last time. I was a little stuck between the two. If you've listened to Logan Blackman show long enough, you know how much we like Travis Etienne. I have called him the best running back in college football for the past few seasons now. You can go listen back on the SoundCloud, if that's still up there, to go hear my stuff about Travis Etienne. I love Travis Etienne. He's a similar style running back of what he could do with the Bills offense to that of Thurman Thomas. I'm not saying he is Thurman Thomas or will be Thurman Thomas, but he could provide the Bills that style of running back. He can do everything. He can split out. He's more versatile than uh, Najee Harris, which is a big thing here. Najee Harris is bigger. Najee Harris last year was a better receiver out of the backfield. He's a very athletic running back as well. Travis Etienne is extremely athletic as well. Had himself a down year. He's a little smaller as well than Najee Harris, but he's versatile. He can split out wide. He can return kicks. I don't think he'll do that this year or in the NFL, but he did do that at Clemson at times. Najee, Travis Etienne is a beast, and I had Travis Etienne go into the Bills at 30 and then switched it last second to, tra- to Najee Harris because I think I, lo- I looked at Mel Kiver's mock draft or something. It was like, oh, I got to do Najee Harris now. But if you look at this, Travis Etienne – since 2018, the two players with the most 10-plus yard gains on passes out of the backfield are Devontae Smith and Etienne. Etienne with 27, Devontae Smith with 26. Alabama runs a lot of bubble screens. For those of you who did not watch Alabama last year, they run a lot of bubble screens. <laughs> and also he has the most receiving yards out of any back since 2019 with over 1,000 receiving yards. The only running back with over 1,000 receiving yards in that time span. The next close was like 700-something. So he's proved on that improved on that and every year since he's come into Clemson he improved as a receiver 
every year his receiving numbers went up. You can look at that in the stats. His numbers always went up as a wide receiver. And another big stat for Etienne, he has the highest career yards per after contact per attempt in the 2021 draft class, 4.5 yards per attempt after contact. That's big. He's not a small dude. He's 5'10", like 215 pounds. That's not small. Comparatively to Najee Harris, who's 6'2", 230, yeah, sure, that's a little small. But not Travis Etienne would give the Bills what Thurman Thomas gave the Bills in the 90s. A running back that could catch the ball in the backfield, split out wide when needed, and this would help unlock the Bills' offense. Any running back would help unlock the Bills' offense. Whatever you want to do here, if you want to look at defense, whatever. But Travis Etienne would not be available the next time the Bills pick. I know the Bills like drafting third-round running backs. They did that the past two years with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. That hasn't worked. They have no running game whatsoever. Get Travis Etienne. You have not only a the best receiving back that you've had since Thurman Thomas on your roster, but you have the best running back you've had since Thurman Thomas on your roster. Zach Moss and Devin Singletary are not great catching the ball in the backfield. Travis Etienne is, and he would instantly unlock the Bills' offense, and they'd be damn near unstoppable next year. It'd be insane to watch the Bills' offense next year. Here, hold on. My throat's getting raw. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. My <laughs> It's 12-17 now. I'm getting, uh, I'm running on fumes right now. <sighs> ah, yes. Still didn't do a lot, but Kansas City, Wyatt Davis, he's the only natural guard going in this draft for the first round anyways. The one that hasn't played any other position, he's played only guard from what I can tell. He's a physical, powerful dude at the guard position. He is coming off a knee injury, so maybe that drops him down a little bit. But the Chiefs need help at guard, need help at offensive line in general. Wyatt Davis is the best pure guard in the draft. He's not the best guard prospect. That goes to Elijah Vera Tucker. But if we're talking about pure guard, Wyatt Davis is the best in this draft class. And then finally, Tampa Bay taking Ronnie Perkins, defensive end from Oklahoma. Oh, geez. Sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry about that. So Ronnie Perkins, he's really consistent. Every year at Oklahoma, he went, what, five, five, and, five, six, and five and a half sacks. Now, he was suspended for part of last year for five games. He was .5 sacks from equaling his career high in sacks with six while only playing five games. That's pretty impressive. He's a very powerful dude, can play both 3-4 or 4-3, played mostly 4-3 at Oklahoma, but can play both 6-3, 247 pounds. He's extremely powerful, as I said, and explosive, which is very big for these DNs in the draft. Speed, explosiveness, bend, and what else do I have on here that's like really big in prospects? Speed, bend, explosiveness. I think that's just the big three, and like if you're looking at draft prospects for defensive ends or edge rushers, that's the big thing there. Speed, elusiveness, explosive. Or speed, bend, and explosive. I don't know, don't, whatever. You get what I'm talking about. But you might lose Shaq Barrett, get a guy like Ronnie Perkins to fill the hole left by Shaq Barrett, who's probably going to be looking for a really big contract. There's a chance he comes back, but I don't know if how logical that's going to be based on the cap situation. But there's a lot of people that could come back to Tampa. There's a lot of people. They might be able to run it back next year, which is sad and scary that Tom Brady might get eight Super Bowls. But whatever. We already know he's the GOAT, so... well. Don't really mean anything at this point now. 
So in this draft, that is five quarterbacks taken, one running back, five wideouts, one tight end, five tackles, two interior linemen. I threw Slater in the off to tackle marks, even though you can list him as an interior lineman as well. Five edge rushers, one D tackle, three linebackers, three corners, and one safety. Every position minus fullback, kicker, punter, and long snapper was covered in the first round of this draft. And there's some big names that missed out on this draft. So you got, let's look at the the Buccaneers list and who I have for other picks, like Joseph Asai from Texas, Jason Owe from Penn State, Carlos Basham from Wake Forest, Davion Nixon from Iowa, Levi Onorouki, on, oh jeez, I've never, on Wu's rookie from Washington, I've always struggled with his name, Alex Leatherwood from Bama, Samuel Cosme from Texas, Liam Eckenberg from Notre Dame, Spencer Brown from UNI, Dylan Randus, Raduniz, Raduniz, don't know, from North Dakota State, Nick Bolton from Missouri, Jabril Cox from LSU, Najee Harris didn't get drafted, Kyle Trask didn't get drafted, Terrace Marshall, Rashad Bateman, Tutu Atwell, none of those guys got drafted. Is there anybody else that I'm really missing out? Any of the cornerbacks, Eric Stokes, Greg Newsome, Aaron Robinson, Asante Samuel, Tyson Campbell. There's a lot of players a lot of very good players that did not get drafted in Mock Draft 2.0. But this is going to be a very talented draft. You can get a very good, very, very, very good player in day two and be perfectly content on what you got in day two. At least I would be. Good Lord, there's going to be a lot of very good players in this draft class. But yes, Trevor Lawrence is number one. I think that's a guarantee. So after Trevor Lawrence, the draft starts with the Jets, as we said the other day. So that's all I've got for you on this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you enjoyed it. Man, almost two-hour-long show, just like the old days. These mock draft shows always go a little longer, as I know I do, because I ramble a lot and over-explain things. But, you know, it's the fun part of being a podcast host. You're not, you're not controlled by any time frame. You kind of just do it however long you want. I didn't want to do it for two hours. My plan was to do it for like 40 minutes and be done, and that obviously did not happen. Good God. Ugh, jeez. Fun show, though. Make sure you go look at Mock Draft 1.0 if you didn't, or 2.0, I guess. Also look at Mock Draft 1.0 if you want to see what we did there. Mock Draft 2.0 will be out when the show's released, so make sure you stay tuned for that. If you haven't looked at it yet after you listen to this, go ahead and listen to it or look at it if you want to get my words in writing. Go ahead and do that. For me, I am signing off. I am going to bed. It is 1221. I am ready to die So I will see you all later. Peace.